I think we're in a stage of our development where the tail is going to wag the dog. I think we might try to control our use of this AI, but I think it might prove bigger than our ability to control it. This is Francesca from the Smart Growth Rocket Podcast by TopClassEdge.com. More people than ever are making big leaps to their goals, carving their own paths, and being really successful in the process. And on this show, I talk to these bright, shiny, successful professionals and entrepreneurs to discuss the ideas, the opportunities, and the strategies they're taking advantage of so we can all be happier and wealthier. Welcome back, Smart Growth Rocket. So today, I'm absolutely thrilled to welcome Dr. Nicholas or Nick Mays, a novelist with a PhD in classical studies, a high school history teacher, as well as teaching classics at the University of Waterloo. And some of his previous novels include Crescent Star, Locksmith, and Transmigration. I wanted to ask, what led you to become a teacher? I mean, some people know that they want to be teachers from a very early age. And then other people become teachers because circumstances push them in that direction. And then some people become a teacher through a combination of the two. So I originally thought that I've always wanted to be a writer of fiction, but it's very difficult to establish a paying career as a writer of fiction. So I hedged my bets by doing something really silly by studying classics and taking a doctorate, as as you said, The idea being that I would then be an academic with plenty of time to write fiction, only that didn't really pan out for some strange reason, something that still puzzles me. No one wants to study Greek and Latin. Uh, So at that point, I had three children, and I discovered that I really do like teaching, that to a certain degree, as an academic, you're expected more to publish than anything else. But I actually found the teaching of classics in many ways much more invigorating and important than the actual writing of academic papers. And as a result, for a number of reasons, I decided to enroll in Teachers College, and that uh, brought me to teaching. So uh, it was it was very fortunate. I, I think I had the skills to become a teacher, and I definitely had the you know, the need to become a teacher it, and it's been a good it's been a very good career since so what do you what do you think it is that students can learn from the classics oh uh, i think i think the past has a great deal to teach us and and that of course isn't just classics that would be that would be the works from any civilization any population the thing is is that we live in the west and if we do want to understand the history of the West, the institutions of the West, for better or worse, because of course the past is a very, very ugly, ugly specter in many ways. But at the same time, it has taken us to a point where we are comfortable, where we are at last, I think, reasonably tolerant of others. There's been a feminist revolution, a gay revolution, a civil rights revolution, and so on and so forth. Much of this has something to do with the texts that we've learned from, and many of those texts are classical texts. They've contributed to a history of persecution and imperialism, but they've also strangely provided a key to those very, very unpleasant aspects of Western history. And I think by studying them closely, we understand our evolution or it gives us some idea of our evolution. Perhaps it points us forward in a direction that will continue to keep this these, these very positive assets moving forward. So being a high school teacher, you're in education day in and day out. And I, this It's one of those topics that uh, a lot of people have varying opinions about, but I wanted to know, in your opinion, what do you think is the true quote unquote purpose of education? Not that there is necessarily one true purpose, but do you think it's more about preparing students for the world of work or do you think there's something else to it? I, I think first and foremost, anyone who graduates from a system, probably not just high school, but now there's going to have to be some post-secondary ingredient as well, given 
the very complicated skill sets that are demanded of us today. Anyone who graduates from a system should first and foremost be given a skill. I think I think if you emerge from that system and you can really go out into the world and find dignified and reasonably well-paying work for yourself after being in an institution for the longest time, then there's something shameful about that institution. So there is definitely a very, very practical side to what we expect from education or what we should expect from education. That being said, I think we are more than our skill set. I mean, once that is to say, as soon once you've actually told someone or you've actually provided someone with very good work and they've been in it now a little while and they've actually been able to provide a nest for themselves, a family to raise, uh, extra money in their pocket to enjoy themselves. There is a dimension to them, which which I'm sure most people are going to become curious about. And that is, well, exactly what is my relationship with the world around me? What is my relationship with the past? How am I to confront essential issues such as death and disappointment? What direction are we moving in? How can I prepare for the for the future? How can I prepare the next generation for the future? And these are abstract questions which aren't immediately immediately obvious. And, and I think elements of our education should provide us with, at the very least, the tools with which we can answer such questions. Elements that we can turn to so that when these questions actually come to us, we at least know what steps we can take to try and address them. Therefore, I don't think education could be exclusively practical. You have to do it in a way whereby it's engaging and meaningful, not 20 years from now. Don't worry, you'll study Canadian history now, but 20 years from now, you're tortured now, but 20 years from now, it'll all make sense. Not that approach, but more instead the idea that it, it should be immediately clear to you why I am teaching this. There is a certain responsibility on the part of the student too. I, I, it isn't all fun and games and I don't think I don't think that the onus should be exclusively on the system and the teacher and the materials. I think the student should be expected to engage with really, really substantial issues such as your past and who you are and your relationship with others. And and I think if, if properly selected, the material that will allow for such engagement is there. We can definitely do it. And I think the instructional methods are there as well. So either from the practical sense or the, I'll call it non-practical sense, what improvements do you think could be made in education? I can only address this from the perspective of my own, of, of what I myself, of what I myself teach, and that would be history and and classics and very traditional material. I'm, I'm pretty well trained. Classics gives you this, not just in classical literature itself, but I'm quite well read in Western literature. I'm quite well trained in, in, in Western history and philosophy. So I really cover a good part of what we mean by the humanities. I understand, I really truly understand today that some of this is absolutely irrelevant and, and even poisonous in the eyes of certain populations who have had their fingers very much burned by this tradition. And I think that that has to be brought to the table, absolutely. At the same time, we live in a world where we are not religious, or many of us are not religious. And therefore, you have to bring that to the table as well. These are very important considerations. But at the same time, I don't think that this puts us in a position whereby we can say, let's just scrap everything. When we take a look at texts like Sophocles' Antigone or Homer's Iliad or the Bible or the Quran, right? Or even works of 19th century English literature or Dutch literature or French literature, I don't think we can say that because this was created either for a religious set or for a Western white male heterosexual set, therefore it just doesn't resonate with today's population and no one should think that it would I think I think that this is material that we we can study much to our profit 
even as we remain aware at all times just how difficult the legacy is that actually produced this literature. Just as a general principle, I would say that anything, anything that has been taken seriously by any population for a significant period of time is going to tell us something about the human condition, whether it is a Western piece of literature, an Eastern piece of literature, an African piece of literature. And therefore, it should be studied, even though it, we should understand well that such pieces of literature or folklore or wisdom or religious practice, you know, treatises and so on and so forth, it's very clear that because they were looked at by for such a long period of time by these populations, many of their many of their principles will have been in a sense superseded by modern times. They will be very old fashioned and they will be very difficult to tune into and they will challenge our assumptions. No matter it's not just a Western legacy that that is challenging at times if you're gay or if you're or if you're a woman or or even if you're a member of a minority not according to the white population but according to other populations you can lead, read these traditional pieces of literature and see that you're not very well liked by the people who were writing these a thousand years ago but the very fact once you sort of shelve that saying well I'll give it I'll, I'll still give it its dues with a certain degree of caution in mind I think you can tell yourself the very fact that generations saw meaning in this text probably means there is a certain degree of wisdom that can be gleaned from. It. And it might be truly fascinating, truly, truly fascinating to see how different the perspective was of a population living a thousand years ago, even if almost by definition, they haven't reached our own level of consciousness with respect to the differences around us. Going from a thousand years ago and looking into the future, yes. AI has been the buzzword, it seems. But what do you think is the role of AI moving into the future and in education specifically? I think we're in a stage of our development where the tail is going to wag the dog. I think we might try to control our use of this AI but I think it might prove bigger than our ability to control it. In the same way, um, when, when you think of the issue of privacy, privacy has always been a really, really important matter with respect to our considerations. But because of AI and the sheer capacity of AI to to gather information on us, which and and to and to violate our privacy in an invisible fashion. Um, but in a way whereby we we are willing we are willing to say well yes okay violate it because you give me so much in return, I, we see how something very very traditional has just been left by the wayside without really any conscious decision having been made except for that moment that glorious moment where you have the control of scrolling through ten pages of a legal contract and checking that little box at the bottom. And then you get to use the software. But we're so anxious to get to the spoils of whatever program it is we're signing on to or social media we're signing on to. And I'm not saying that we're wrong to do this. I think I think this is just going to be our experience as we continue down the road. AI is going to make demands of us. It's going to change our notion of what a skill set is. And and we will just go along for the ride. Our notion of human excellence is is probably going to suffer as a result. And I mean, what are you supposed to say? Let's say you're an English teacher and you're you're no longer at Chat GPT four. It's now Chat GPT eight, and it writes beautifully. It writes beautifully. Your teacher asks you to write an essay on the causes of the First World War or or uh, no the social conventions of the 19th century, and you speak that into the program. And presto, you've got this beautiful, beautiful essay in front of you. How on earth? Can a teacher really say with, with any degree of credibility, well, you didn't write that. I want you to write it from scratch. 
that's a bit like telling someone, you know, when you turn the thermostat on in your house, it isn't fair that you get heat. You should go outside and chop the wood. And oh. and it's it's just the nature of the beast. It's become it's become a very, very easy process for it for us. And the teacher is going to have to understand, unfortunately, that asking students to have this skill earned in the old fashioned, you know, spit and sweat fashion is 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 just not going to work any longer. And I, I think the same will be true of certain skills in mathematics and foreign languages. I, I keep thinking of a little box that we'll have hanging around our necks where you can just turn it to French or Russian or Hebrew or any language you can actually think of, who knows, maybe even ancient Greek, and it comes out with a beautiful, beautiful Russian, Hebrew, etc., etc. And at that point, how on earth can the French teacher or Hebrew teacher or Russian teacher insist, no, you sit here and you memorize the verbs and the grammatical constructions and the vocabulary and so on and so forth? It's a pity. It really is a pity. But I think I think we've reached a point where we don't expect people to to provide for their comforts through the old-fashioned way of sweating for it, you know, making bread by the sweat of your brow, growing the wheat and harvesting the wheat and grinding the grain and so on and so forth. We just go to the supermarket and buy it. We don't even go to the supermarket and buy it. We <laughs> order it in from Uber. You will never be able to write as well as chat GPT-8. And you'll always use chat GPT-8 when you have to come up with a business paper or a research paper or writing your CV. But you're going to do what generations did before you, and you're going to learn to write the old-fashioned way. I, I think we're going to have to we're going to have to move on, unfortunately. And I don't know what I don't know what the substitute is. I just don't know what the alternative. This could be an entire episode or an entire sure. podcast in and of itself. But on this note of writing, you've written a few novels yourself. Are you planning on writing anything new? Is there anything in the works? Oh, yes, plenty. I've got, I have three novels, which I thought were finished. On looking at them closely, I, I think they could probably use a little bit of work. One of them I just finished very, very recently, Luck of the Draw, a dystopian sci-fi future based on premises that we haven't really seen yet because there have been plenty of sci-fi dystopian futures. This one is a little different. I'm, I'm very intrigued by, by demographics and the effects that this has on identity. And I was just thinking, what if you're living in a dystopian future where your age is really going to determine your status and youth is actually perhaps frowned upon. It's, it's sort of turning around certain propositions that we have. And... There's a, a book I've been, I have my eye on. It's called, I'm not sure if you've heard of it. It's called Dark Matter. All I know is it's definitely dystopian sci-fi falls under that category, that genre. And it's it's called Dark Matter. But no, I, yes. I love that. I'd be yes. very excited to read your book, I feel like. It sounds very intriguing. <laughs> <laughs> when it's out, you let me know. And the last question I have for you is, what words of wisdom would you give to any student who wants to become quote unquote, successful in today's world? I would say it's a pretty gloomy thought, but imagine yourself on your deathbed and imagine what your metric of success will be in those final moments where you're asking yourself, did I have a successful life? And the chances are it will have very little to do with the amount of money that you've left in your bank account. It's a truism, but I think it's very true. And it will have everything to do with whether you felt you left a good record behind you in your dealings with others, whether you you treated people with respect, whether you loved people, whether you were genuinely loved by others because they thought that you were worthy of love. And it would also be a matter of defining what your real passions are. I mean, your true, true passions. And without allowing your passions to take you off the path of earning a reasonable living, because all of us really do have an obligation to pull our own weight. I know that's that too is a very old-fashioned truism, but I think it's true. 
Um, it's not as though I'm entitled to a living purely because I decided that I am a writer of fiction and therefore that's what I do. I understood that I had a family to raise and, and it was important for me to bring money in and show my children that work in itself is very, very rewarding. But in addition to your work, if you're lucky and your work is your passion, then you're very lucky. But if you have a passion in addition to that, it's, it's something that you will want to pursue to the very best of your ability. You'll want to make time for it, even as you have rich friendships and, and you create a warm environment for the people around you and you're honest and abiding and you're the best you can be, you'll also want to pursue that passion to the degree that you possibly can. And don't get distracted. I don't, don't fall in love with things that aren't really quite as substantial as we know they are, but they just have a, mag, a magnetism of their own. And I think, I think that happens all the time now. I think it is very possible. I, I see my students, people who are just wasting vast amounts of time by playing games or charting TikTok and Facebook and so on and so forth. And there's pleasure, but there's also the best possible you that can emerge if you nurture it properly. And what an extraordinary pity it would be if the best possible you that you can see so plainly on your deathbed, the best possible you isn't the you that you are on your deathbed that it eluded you, that it slipped through your fingers, not because of circumstance, but because you didn't work hard enough at being the best possible. Be the best possible you. I guess that is the purpose you know, of a life and that is the purpose of education, to bring it out. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us. I really appreciate this. This was Dr. Nicholas Mays. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks for listening to Smart Growth Rocket. If you feel like you're enjoying these podcasts and that you're benefiting, I would absolutely love your support. Feel free to share, like, comment, or continue listening wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Until next time, to your success. Mm -hmm.